Welcome to the workshop, Newcomers, Welcome Aboard. My name is Jackie. I'm a compulsory reader and the moderator for the session. Hi. Before we begin, please turn off your cell phones and pagers. And the timer already? Yeah. Um, this workshop is being taped. All opinions expressed by those who share are their own and not necessarily those of OA as a whole. The format for this session is a reading, two speakers, ask it, ask it questions, and sharing on the topic. A basket with paper and pencil will be circulated for you to write any questions you may have for the speakers. Please specify whom your question is for, um, if you choose. The reading is from OA Brown Books, pages 5 and 6. If after reading this book, you decide you are one of us, we welcome you with open arms. You are not alone anymore. Overeaters Anonymous extends to all of you the gift of acceptance. No matter who you are, where you come from, or where you are going, you are welcome here. Regardless of what you have done or failed to do, what you have felt or haven't felt, who you have loved or hated, you may be sure of unconditional acceptance. We will help you and rejoice with you and tell you that we are not failures just because we sometimes fail. We'll hold out our arms in love and stand be beside you as you pull yourself back up and walk on again to where you're heading. Sometimes we fail to be all that we could be, and sometimes we aren't there to give you all you need from us. Accept our imperfections, too. Love and help us in, in return. That is what we are in a way, imperfect but progressing. Let us rejoice together in our recovery and in the assurance that we have a home if we want it. Welcome to Overeaters Anonymous. Welcome home. Our first speaker is Deborah R. from Irvine, California, who will speak for 25 minutes. I'm Deborah. I'm a compulsive overeater. Hi, and I'm a newcomer today also. <laughs> I, um, I came to program four years ago, and when I first came into program, I was in misery. I, I, I came to program not to lose weight. I hear a lot of people share that they come to program to lose weight, and uh, to me, weight was hiding me. And, and I, even though I was uncomfortable with it and I was miserable with it, it was a shield for me, and I felt like, you know, people didn't notice me, and I, I do everything I can to be not noticed. So today it's very hard for me to be up here speaking to you because when I first came to program, I didn't speak at all. I came in the rooms, I sat in the very back, and I didn't talk. I tried to sit in the back. So when I first came to my very first meeting, there was a woman that came and gathered me up and brought me to the front and sat me down and loved on me, and I was horrified. It's like, oh, my God, I never want to come back here again. But even before I got to that point, I, you know, I, I looked up Overeaters Anonymous, and, and I was a 100-pounder, and I'm still a 100-pounder. And I was, um, 
you know, I don't, I, can't, I won't fit in, I, I can't go. I, I had a million and one excuses to stay on the couch with my food and the TV. And finally, I got miserable enough that I went. And I know OA would work for me because I've been exposed to other 12-step programs for, to other members of my family and stuff. And and so I knew that if I went, it would help. And I was so emotionally distressed. Um, my, my children had grown and moved out. I have two boys, 32 and uh, 28 this year. And they had, my, my youngest had moved out, and I didn't have a reason to go on, you know. And, and I feel sad when I say that because not having a reason to go on, I didn't love myself. I would have done anything for my kids. I devoted my life to my kids. And when, when they were gone, it's like I don't have any reason to go on. But I was a functioning a functioning compulsive overeater because I still got up and went to work. I mean, I had to pay. I had to be able to buy my food and pay my rent so and my cable so I could watch TV, you know. And that was my best friend. Well, I had another friend, but TV was my best friend. It was up at the wee hours in the morning while I was stuffing my face. And um, when I... I um, I, I made little notes all over this week trying to figure out what I was going to tell everybody, and um, I lost all the little notes. Uh, one of the one of the notes I remember was that I ate ate large and lived small, and um, I always ate large. Eating eating large was a part of my everyday life. I didn't know I had a problem with food from a very young age. I, I could eat whatever I wanted, and I was thin then, and it was not an issue. And, and my mom, you know, is, if you take it and you eat it, it's not an issue. And, and so we ate large. My whole family ate large. And I didn't even know, I think the first time I remember food being a problem is um, <clears throat> I went on vacation with somebody else's family. And, you know, we got up and we ate big cereal bowls of cereal for breakfast, half a box of cereal. My mom used to tease, you know, why even bring it in from the trunk? Just go out and eat it out of the car because it was the effort to carry it in and it disappeared instantly. But when I went on vacation, they had, I don't know if people remember, they had little teeny boxes that you cut down the middle, you know, and open up, put the milk in. That's what they ate for breakfast. I was horrified. And my mom lectured me before I left. Don't, you eat what they eat and then come home and everything will be okay. I came home like three or four days later sobbing because I was starving to death. Hello? It's like I need food. And that's the first time I can remember food being an issue. Um, I didn't connect that it was a compulsive overeating issue at that point. And I did get into another 12-step program myself, um, Al-Anon, and my Al-Anon sponsor told me, why don't you go to OA? I'm like, okay, I'll, I'll try that. And I went, and you're supposed to get a sponsor, and at that time I got a sponsor. And a sponsor's supposed to be, you know, somebody that has what you want. Well, there's this cute little blonde girl over there. She's petite, blonde, tiny. You know, I asked her to be my sponsor. I wanted what she had. I wanted to be small, petite, tiny, cute. And then when my son got put him in treatment for a drug and alcohol problem, he was coming home. I'm freaking out because, you know, what do I do with him? I called my sponsor, my OA sponsor, and she didn't know what to do. She hadn't had my life experiences, so I learned a valuable lesson. And I also stopped coming to OA at that time because my Al-Anon sponsor asked me why. I said, because it works, and I'm not ready to give up my food. I wasn't ready to give up my food. It was my comfort. It was what got me through the days, what got me through the night, what helped me be a single parent. It helped me. It was my friend. It was my friend. And my friend ended up turning on me. And um, as I said, I, I've lost about, or given away. I like to say given away. I say lost, and then I get to correct myself. I've given away 70 to 85 pounds. I went from a size 24, 20, 
Thank you. <laughs> Don't acknowledge me up here. I'm trying to hide, okay? <laughs> I might start crying. But I went from a 2420 to a 10-8, and, you know, I'm happy with that. But for me, when I came in, as I said, it wasn't for the diet program, because there's no diet program here. It was for my sanity. I had gone from being, you know, a vivacious woman, raising two kids, going to school, working full-time, to laying on the couch, doing nothing, being 100 pounds overweight, high blood pressure, high cholesterol, you know, plantar fascia, my feet hurt, my legs hurt, my knees hurt, and I had a miserable attitude on life. And I knew I needed help. And what kind of pushed me was my son, who had moved out three months prior, came home. He's like, Mom, Mom. And, and I knew this feeling because I, I lived around people that had other problems in their life and watched them kill themselves slow, a slow, torturous death. And he came in and he said to me, Mom, you know, what are you doing? You're killing yourself. I feel so bad when I think about that. It makes me want to cry because I knew that feeling. And he's like, you know, what happened? You used to do so much. And now I, I see you just lay around and eat all the time. And, you you know, he says, now you look like a, a beached whale on the couch and you weren't doing anything. I'll do anything to help you. I mean, he was begging me to help myself, and I I didn't really have the willingness. <laughs> he was so cute. I mean, not that's not cute, but, he, you know, I'll do anything. I'll even do the breath capture three-day walk with you, Mom. Like, I could walk for three days. Oh, Lord, no. <laughs> it's like, go away, go away. You know, I, I can't do that. But I, you know, something got down in my brain, and I needed to do something. So I looked up the OA programs, and... <laughs> I picked out meetings that was closest to me. I knew I knew for myself that if I didn't make it convenient, I wouldn't go. In the program, they say go to any length. But in the beginning, any length for me was closest to my house. And and so I found meetings, and it's like, well, I think I probably have 100 pounds to lose. Maybe I'll go there. No, they won't accept me. I won't fit in. I'll be this. I'll be that. And, and so I, I went to my first meeting that I wanted to go to for me and instead of like doing Al-Anon for my kids you know isn't that such an Al-Anon thing I did that for my kids but I came to OA for me and as I said I came for the spiritual and the emotional recovery more than the physical because with the physical even you know being fat I didn't think people looked at me and then when I got to the 100 pounders meeting and I listened to them share oh, I'm a 100 pounder and people make fun of me and you know they do this and they do that it's like oh my god they notice them, you know. Oh, I don't. I don't want to get any bigger because I don't want to be noticed, and I don't want people making fun of me. And I don't want to, you know. I was fortunate enough to still be able to, you know, sit in seats if I needed to, and you know, I could sit in the airplane seats and be uncomfortable. I didn't have to ask for an extender or anything they were talking about. Although I would hear, you know, yeah, my toilet seat broke, and it's like, oh, I have that problem at home, you know, or you know, I have, you know, I get sores underneath my fat rolls, and it's like, oh, I have that going on too oh, how embarrassing I don't want to let people know that and you know the toilet seat's breaking I don't know it's not a good toilet seat or you know I was on blood pressure medicine and I had, once I started taking that I had sores on my body the doctor kept telling me I have ringworm I'm like ringworm that's contagious and she kept treating me for ringworm but I had a sore on my body for the whole time I took blood pressure medicine which was six years you know how insane is that I didn't want to get one cleared up and another one would come and another one would come I didn't want people to see me or touch me in case I was contagious and you know I'm doing the toilet seat I was doing everything they were talking about at the 100 pound meter except for people weren't making fun of me to my face that I knew of you know and 
So I, I kept coming back because I didn't want to be noticed bigger or smaller. And um, I wanted to go to Toastmasters to learn how to speak, too. And I went one time, and I heard them talking ums. And so I hear myself saying um. I said it twice now. <laughs> I'm up here being a critical parent to myself while I'm speaking. But uh, OA has taught me to to be able to get up here and speak. As I said, when I first came to meetings, and trust me, I was a nervous wreck before I came up here, but when I first came to meetings, I came in, I sat in the back of the room, and I, I didn't share, I didn't speak, and I did that for a year, and I left the meetings, and I stopped at the store, and I bought my binge foods, which was, you know, sugar, salt, sweet, anything. I could binge on anything, and, but most of it was sugar and salt foods, and I would leave the meeting, I'd go, and I'd get that, and I'd eat. And I did that forever, well, not forever, for probably almost a year. And then I finally, you know, got enough emotional serenity to be able to ask somebody to be my sponsor. And it's like, oh, I can do that. And then I asked this lady to be my sponsor. And this time, she wasn't, like, pretty blonde, skinny person. But she had, you know been divorced. She'd raised kids by herself. She'd worked jobs. She'd lived life, and I knew she might be able to guide me, but even after I asked her, it's like, oh, I think I asked the wrong person. You know, I don't know how she's going to help me. Blah, blah, blah. I have to be able to to expose myself to her, to talk to her. She wants me to call her every morning, and I started doing that, and and we started getting a relationship, and she ended up being the best first person for me. I ended up being able to open myself up to her and share with her things that have happened to me in my life, things that I wasn't comfortable with. Actually, I called her before I came here, and she said something to me. started me crying, so I've been crying all the way up till I got here, which I don't know if it's good or bad. But thank goodness I cried out in the hall before I got in here and started speaking, because now I feel like I can talk without having a nervous breakdown. But... Um, She had me work program, and everybody does it different. She didn't have me report my food to her, and we tried to. I tried to be abstinent in a way she suggested, which was three meals a day and no sugar. And I tried, and I tried, and I tried, and I did that from January till May, and I couldn't be abstinent with that abstinence. And 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 at that same between January and May, when I was trying to get abstinent and figure out what is my abstinence, because everybody has a different abstinence, and that's one of the things that confused me most when I first come in. What is abstinence? And I, I still get a little confused with it, but I finally was able to define what was abstinence for me. And I was able to let go of sugar in that time frame, which I didn't think I'd ever do. I mean, my goodness, I was raised, my family owned three Dairy Queens. I ate ice cream whenever I wanted, you know. It was just part of life, normal. You know, I could sit down and eat a gallon, and it was not an issue. So it was a big deal. I was a very bad sugar addict. And um, I gave up sugar from January to May, and I started exercising. Some girl at work, some young girl, was like, come walk with me, come walk with me. I'm like, I don't want to walk with you. Come walk with me, come walk with me. No, no, no. And she hounded me and hounded me and hounded me. And these are now, I think, what they call God shots in OA. And that was, she was a God shot for me, you know. Come walk with me, come walk with me. And God, no matter how many times I told her, no, push her away and push her away and push her away, she kept coming back. So I finally walked with her. And then I would walk with her, and I had the worst attitude, and I'd whine and bitch and moan and groan, and my feet hurt, and and we'd get partway back. She's like, you're slapping your feet. I know, I can't walk anymore. 
And she would be like, okay, and then two days later, let's go walk. I'm like, no, I don't want to walk. But anyway, I kept walking and I kept trying to be abstinent. And from January to May, I was able to take off 10 pounds. And being a compulsive overeater for me, 10 pounds in five months? Are you kidding me? I ate good for one day. I should be at goal weight. Who are you kidding? You know? <laughs> and... So it's like, well, okay, I need to figure out a different abstinence, and I need to figure out how to exercise. And I didn't want to be on a diet because for me, to me, my dad died when he was 49 from high blood pressure. I had high blood pressure, and I didn't have that long before I was 49. My mom has high cholesterol. People in my family die young, and I don't want to follow in their footsteps. So it became a serious matter for me, not only emotionally, spiritually, but physically. And Oh, exercise. I decided that I could not survive eating three meals a day and no sugar. I could survive not eating the no sugar. I've done that for five months. But the three meals a day, I was far too hungry. So I started eating, I basically eat six meals a day, small meals. But I get up at 4 o'clock in the morning. I go to bed at 10 o'clock at night, and I'm busy the whole day. Working, working out, going to meetings, you know, having, meeting with friends. I mean, I have a life now, and it's not the TV and the food, the Bermuda Triangle, that they call it, you know, the TV, the refrigerator, and the couch. That isn't my life anymore. Now I have a large life, and I get to do things and partake in life, and I'm hungry more than three times a day. And for me, it works better to eat. And also because, as I said, I ate large when I was young. I had no idea what a portion is. Restaurants don't serve you. I don't think they serve you real portions. They serve you large portions. And I needed to weigh and measure. And, you know, I felt ashamed of that when I first, you know, I don't like to tell people that, but that's my story. I had to weigh and measure. And I got a scale for my birthday, a food scale. How nice. I'd like it to tell I'm more accurate. But I got to weigh and measure and figure out what is the portion so I don't have to do it all the time. I get to write down my food so I know what I'm putting in my mouth. I was um, able to hire a personal trainer who taught me how to work out, and, and he came to my house because, again, I didn't want to go into public and have people see me and be at the gym working out, so I was able to get somebody that would come to my house, and I had a treadmill in my house, and he worked on me with the treadmill and the bike. And these are gifts that people have given to me that I use as coat hangers, too, but clothes hangers. They, um, he, he showed me how to work out, and he started taking me to the gym, taking me outside, dragging me to more public places, and working with my attitude. Because as I started losing weight, I'm working in program. I'm still going in, in the break room at work and putting the money into the machine to get my sugar foods or my salt foods or my whatever foods that I want. And my God shots are the money sticking. The food won't drop down. No matter how bad I shake the machine, I can't, I can't get the food I want. Um, another God shot was I got in a car accident. Somebody totaled my car and, you know, I had just gotten my sponsor and, and, it, you know, it happened on my way to work. I usually was at work at 6 or 7 in the morning. And it's noon, and I'm calling my sponsor, and she's like, have you eaten? I'm like, oh, no, because I was like a nervous basket case rock. And she said, stop what you're doing. Go get, you know, your meal, eat it, and then carry on with life. But I carried on. I got a new car, and when I got my license plate, I love this part of my story. I got my license plate in the mail and the plate said for you OA, you know. How, you know, I'm supposed to be here. To me it was 
a miracle, a good God shot. Um, the other thing, I was very ashamed when I came here. I, you know, how can you not? Con- how could I not control my food? I need to control my food, and I can't do that. It's embarrassing to me. I didn't want my family. I mean, they knew I couldn't control my food. All my teachers are with food in my mouth, not a dream, but food, 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 food. And my body said I couldn't control my food. And when I came, I was ashamed, and I didn't want people to know I couldn't control myself and I couldn't control my eating and, and to admit, step one, I'm powerless over myself, and I can't quote the steps. Maybe in another 20 years I'll be able to, but I'm powerless over food, and my life had became un, become unmanageable. And to me, powerless meant victim. And I had a hard time relating to anything but being a victim if I was powerless. I need to be in control some way, even if it's eating, to be in control. And I was able to let that go with the help of a sponsor and the steps and a higher power. I have a higher power now who guides me through life. And I wanted guidance through life. I always wanted that. Can't somebody tell me how to live life? You know, how can I get from here to there? And, you know, I have OA now. I have the 12 steps, eight tools, the big book. Amazing when you read the big book. It's amazing when you read it. It actually tells you how to live life if you pay attention to it. You know, there's a part in there where you'd be like, oh, how am I supposed to do this? And, you know, it tells you what to do upon awakening and what to do upon going to bed at night. And, you know, if I do that, then I get to recover a little more. And sometimes, you know, I beat myself up because, oh, people come into program and they go from step one to step 12 in three months. Well, I've been here four years, and I'm still on step four, so I'm doing a step a year. But you know what? It's okay because I'm recovering, and I feel like a miracle to myself. I can get up, and I can look in the mirror and say, I like myself on most days. And look, you know, hello, I have a leg today. <laughs> and it shows. And, and I can wear a dress today even though I'm not comfortable. And I'm up here speaking to you even though I'm having a nervous breakdown before I got here. You know, I get to step outside my box. I get to live in faith. I get to face everything and recover instead of what somebody else said to me, you know, F everything and run. I've run long enough in my life. Now I get to recover. Since I've been in recovery, I've got to meet wonderful people that ask me to do all these fun things (laughs) that I really appreciate. I felt so honored when Sandy asked me to come and share with you my story. My first instinct was, oh, yeah, I'd like to do that. I feel honored. I felt excited. And then it's like, oh, what did I do, you know? I still have crazy stinking thinking, but with making outreach calls, I get to have people walk me through and help me get up here and do the things I need to do. I have guidance in life now from a higher power who is number one, from friends that I've made from the 12-step A2, the big book. I um, When I first came in, I, I'm jumping all over the place. I'm sorry, I'm going before and after, and I know I'm supposed to share what it's like before, how I got here, and I'm kind of doing it in a double way, but that's okay. I, I got a cat right before I, I came to OA, and when I came in, I didn't tell people I was coming because, as I said, I was ashamed, and so I got this cat, and quite a bit later, after I'd been coming to program for a while, my mom and a few other people said to me, you know, because I didn't even tell my family where I was going. Ever since you got that cat, you're you're really a lot better and a lot nicer. And I'm like, ooh, <laughs> okay, it's not the cat, all right? <laughs> the cat's mean and he bites me. <laughs> and he's still mean and he still bites me. And guess what? The cat is a compulsive overeater, too. Because who feeds him? Me. I feed him. And... Um, He's gotten his food cut back also, so we cry together at night. 
he doesn't make outreach calls, only to me. <laughs> he loves me unconditionally, though. Um, there's that onward again. I am grateful to be here, and I, and I want to keep coming and keep learning, and I want to get to step five. I actually have done step five one other time. I went through step five, and then I moved to Arizona. I lost my job of 20 years. I, got, I was able to take a job in Arizona, moved away from my entire family, friends, my support group. But guess what? Always over there, too. And I used to think when I was here and coming to meetings, why are they clapping? I can't stand all the clapping. I went over there. Guess what? They don't clap over there. I'm like, why aren't they not clapping? <laughs> it's so weird. <laughs> but I get to accept whatever is put in front of me, and usually with grace and dignity now. And, I, and most of the time, I don't have to feel so afraid I am, am, I'm immobilized. Since I've been in program, I've got to hike Mount Baldy. But, yes, I first, before I went on my hike, I made it all the way to uh, Magic Mountain before I realized I was in the wrong direction. <laughs> you know, but I made it all the way to Baldy, and I got where I needed to be, and somebody there showed me a shortcut so I could meet up with the team I was going to walk with, and I made it to the top. Yeah, I got to take the tram for a little bit, so I had a little cheat of a ride, but, you know, God was with me, and he made it easier for me. And I've got to get my cat who bites me and loves me, and I've got to make friends, and I get to work the steps and have a higher power. And I got to move to Arizona and take a job that, had I been 100 pounds or more overweight, still ill health, I doubt that they would have asked me to even join them over there, you know. And not saying that, you know, good or bad or whatever, I just really don't think I would have been asked, or that I could have went or gone, excuse my English. I, I get to speak to a group of people and share my hope and strength and experience and I I get to be an athlete oh yeah I get to be an athlete because that trainer he taught me how to work out and I do that now with joy not total joy just what normal people that work out they don't like it all the time either because I asked them it's like oh so this is normal I cannot like it every day but I still get to get up and do it and guess what I didn't pick the, the elite kind of workout. I, I do race walking, which is kind of like a little weird segment of society. But they're a great group, and I get to compete. I actually am an athlete. I'm registered with the USA Track and Field, and I take gold every time I race. Isn't that wonderful? And would I be racing if I was laying on the couch? Heck no. I watched I always want everything by osmosis. I want to get what people had without doing what they did. Now I get to do what people do and get what they have. And I... Um, I was in the hospital in January. My spinal cord swelled up, and I couldn't walk. I started, you know, on Wednesday, I started feeling weird. By Sunday, I couldn't breathe and couldn't walk. I was falling down. I can't roll over on the couch. I had have fun. Come help me get up so I could go to bed. They kept me for a week. I walked out of the hospital, which they said was a miracle. They've seen only four cases of what I had. Three of them left in wheelchairs. Most people don't walk again. Hey, guess what? I'm walking today. That's another huge God shot for me. I... And I raced. I raced. I missed the first race of the season, and I raced the rest of the races. And the first race that I did, guess what? God was with me because nobody else was in my age category, and I took home gold. Slowest <laughs> <laughs> race I ever had, but I still got to be a winner, you know? So, hey, it was great. And thank you for letting me share. I believe my time is up, and if it's not, it's up anyway. <laughs> Keep coming back. Our second speaker is Sandy Clifford from Laguna Woods, California, who will speak for 25 minutes.
Hi, guys. I'm Sandy, and I'm a grateful compulsive overeater. I'm going to, if you wouldn't mind coming up here, I'm going to pass this picture around. Oh, Jackie will be kind enough to do it. Um, because I have a sponsor who says that's what you do. And unlike before I got the program, I now actually do what somebody suggests I do. Um, I'm going to qualify. I came in the program on March the 13th of 2001. Not at my top weight. My top weight was just under 400 pounds. When I got here, I was 355 pounds. I had dieted strenuously, as you could tell. I got here because I have a family member in another 12-step program who brought me here, kicking and screaming. The fact that I had had three strokes in a 12-day period um, convinced even me that there maybe was something I should be doing other than my way. Um, I didn't want to be here. You were all crazy. You were just nuts. You believed in God. You must be a cult. You all talked about the same things. But you had two things that I wanted, and I could see that early on. You had weight loss that you were maintaining, and I could never do that. I could lose weight. Six, seven hundred pounds before I ever found you. Gained back seven or eight. And you had something called the 12 Steps. Now, I had heard of the 12 Steps because of my sister and her program, her 12-step program, but I really didn't know how they worked. So before I get into what happened after I got here, I'll tell you a little bit about what it used to be like. What it used to be like was I believed that I came out a compulsive overeater. I believed that it was a predisposition for me. I also believe it's a disease, and I loved it when I heard early on that it was a disease, I didn't cause it, and I cannot cure it. Now, if I can't cure it, that really is, well, it sucks. Just plain sucks that I can't cure it. Because I came here thinking I could take care of everything, the whole world. I was running it, not very well, but I really thought I was running it. I was trying to run my family. <laughs> Before, um, I'm an incest survivor. I will state that in the beginning because that shaped my thinking. It never dawned on me that I could, as an adult, change my thinking and do things differently. I developed a pattern for living that was scare the hell out of you so you couldn't hurt me. I'm one of these in-your-face kind of people before I got here. Um, I did know one emotion. It was anger. And I was very good at that. So I just kept you at arm's length and then you couldn't hurt me. So I did a lot of diets. Um, I, I just tried them all. Not, nothing as a child that wasn't forced on me by my mother. Um, as a teenager had figured out that the only way to get out of an abusive home was to marry out of it. And I was smart enough to know that if I was going to get married, I probably had better have a little better body. So I went on my first diet on my own, was successful. Um, actually, I was more than successful. I trolled the streets of Long Beach for a husband. I found him. We just celebrated 43 years of marriage. Not because I did anything really well. 
but because I had a God before I knew I had a God. And I've got the right guy. You know, I just have just got the right guy. After we got married, I did a lot of different diets. I did everything the doctor would allow. Um, I didn't know those diet pills were speed. <laughs> they were kind of cool. I heard somebody say that uh, all that really accomplished was I ate faster, which was probably true, and I already ate fast. It never never motivated me to clean faster and do stuff that I heard other people say. Um, also did the Jenny Craig program. That was my most successful in a short period of time, 128 pounds in 10 and a half months. Kept it off for three minutes probably before I started getting that back. Um, for any of you that are old enough or have parents that have talked about it, there was a program called TOPS. Now, I never really thought of myself as a stupid individual, but you got to be pretty dumb to pay money for them to put a pig snout on you and oink at you when you gain weight. And that's what they did at Tops. You weighed in every week, and if you gained, they oinked at you. And you sat in the corner, and you kept the pig snout on. Um, I didn't last at that one too long. Um, every other thing that I tried, I really lost weight. I don't do well with shame and degradation, because I think because I grew up with that. But I do real well with that huge ego that I had. If I was successful, I would just keep being successful, because that got me all the right attention. <clears throat> and then I got to a point somewhere along the way where I just didn't really care anymore. I'm just going to live my life. I have a husband, I have two children, and I'm way too busy controlling the world to worry about my weight. And that's what I proceeded to do. And um, sorry for anybody who buys this tape, but when I got here, I was a raving bitch. I was trying to help all of my loved ones. That was what I thought I was doing. Stop them from making the mistakes that were going to hurt them. So I was trying to control them. Um, I have a lot of medical issues. I have what I call non-returnable, non-refundable gifts from my disease. I was 57 years old when I got here. I have sleep apnea. I have high blood pressure. I have high cholesterol. I have ulcerative colitis. I have neuropathy in my left leg. After the three strokes, one of which affected my eyesight, and I didn't drive for the first three and a half months in the program, which is how I really found that there are some lovely people here. They would pick me up and take me to my meetings. Uh, ten days after I got, was able to drive again, I was broadsided on the freeway. God saw fit to allow me to live through that. After allowing me to live through the strokes, I decided I could have an open mind where this God thing was concerned. And that was the beginning of me allowing myself to believe that acting as if was an okay concept. Because I heard that in here. If you don't have a higher power, or God, if that's what you choose to use, then act as if. And you can use ours until you get one. And early on in program, if anyone in this room, newcomers, if you have a problem with the higher power, Truly, the first thing I thought was acting as if sounds like 
being hypocritical to me. And you tell me you're a program of honesty. How can you say that to me and then tell me to act as if? Well, you know what? I wouldn't get a lot accomplished if I didn't act as if in a lot of areas of my life. Because let's face it, I really don't know everything, even though I thought I did. So I do have to act as if in a lot of areas of my life. And I had to trust, because there were a lot of people in these rooms that had what I wanted. And if I had to find out how they accomplished that, I had to have the open mind. And I had to keep my mouth shut and try not to judge the way they told me they got it. That was very difficult for me because I was that in-your-face kind of person. I do not have a subtle bone in my body. I have a very expressive face. I am an eye roller. Very good at this. When I did the steps the first time and realized how bad I was in that area, I had to sit in meetings with my hands over my eyes when there would be people there that I did not like. Because I don't get to display those feelings anymore. There's an appropriate way of dealing with things and an inappropriate way. Before there was your way and there was my way. And I chose to do service at this convention in the newcomer area. Because when I went to my very first meeting, there were six people in the meeting. Three of them were writing through the whole meeting. They never looked up. Now, how rude was that? I was there. It was all about me, don't you know? I mean, that's what it's all about when you're a newcomer. And I'm going to be the first one to tell you that, newcomers. You are in this meeting because it is all about you and your recovery. You're not the only one that should feel that way. We are all here today because we have newcomers every single day. If people stop coming to this program, this program will die. I will be a newcomer until the day I die. Every meeting I go to, they pass a meeting list around. You sign in that you're there. And it asks, newcomer, check it or not check it. I write daily. I will do that until the day God takes me home. If I forget how I got here, I am doomed. I will continually repeat the things that got me here. I could not believe it in my first few meetings. They would say, who's got one to five years? Who's got five to ten years? And I'm sitting there and I'm looking at the people raising their hands. They are skinny. And all I could think is, why are you people still here? You have lost your weight. You seem pretty sane and normal to me. Why do you keep coming back? Well, you know what? If I leave these rooms, I am never going to be sane again. My disease is not going to go away when I get down to a healthy body weight. Now, it's very obvious I'm not at a healthy body weight. But it's also very obvious, my picture's been going around, that I don't look like that picture either. Okay? We believe, I believe, I can't say we, but if you listen to enough people around this convention, you could turn that into a we.
I believe that my goal, weight, whatever that is, is not up to me. I believe that's God's decision. And I believe when that happens, that's God's decision. I believe that how soon that happens is directly proportionate to the maintenance of my spiritual condition and the willingness level I put in on a daily basis. That willingness level also translates to how much work I put into the program. Now, I also know how big my ego was when I walked into these rooms. And if I had lost all of the weight like I did on Jenny Craig in ten and a half months, the door would have hit my ass on the way out. Because my ego was not ready for me to stay. I would have said, just like I felt when I saw all those hands go up, I got it. I figured it out. I can do it now. You showed me how. That's not right. If I left today, within three months, I'd be halfway back to the weight. I got over 140 pounds that God has seen fit to take away up to this time. I don't know how much he's going to continue to take. That's not my job. That's not my business. I have determined an abstinence that works for me without sending me crazy. And by that I mean without me getting up saying, I can't do this again today. When I get up now, I know that I can get through that day and not go nuts and think about certain foods all day long. That's what will send me out the door. What I wish for every new newcomer who comes in the door is a day free of obsessing over what foods they're going to eat, at what time they're going to eat it, and how much of it they're going to eat. Because that's what takes me to insanity. Not the actual food I put into my mouth, but thinking about it all day long. Thinking about it. If I'm obsessing over food all day, I can't live a life. I can't be present for you. I have six people that I sponsor. That's really not smart. But I don't work. I have the time to do this. You know? I could not be present for me if I was thinking about food all day. Now, I was, I'm not a binger. I'm a grazer. I had one meal a day. I opened my eyes. It started. I closed them. It ended. That was my meal. And people who talked about portions, portions weren't hard for me to figure out. You bought a bag, whatever size it was, that was the portion. <laughs> Why is that difficult? You go to a restaurant, you order something, whatever they put in front of you, that was your portion. But I do agree with the speaker I heard earlier. Somebody who can get as a gift a box of something and make it last longer than an hour, now that's nuts. Now I know I'm a compulsive overeater. I don't have a problem identifying. But nowhere in our literature does it say that if you admit you're a compulsive overeater, you've got to like that admission. You don't have to like that you're a compulsive overeater. You don't have to like something that you really know it's best for you to do in program, like work the steps. Hell, I don't like working them. But i got to do it. 
What's it, Nike or something that has that commercial, just do it? You know, for me, do it, die. Now, I don't wish on any of you how I got here. But I'm what the big book talks about when they say low bottom drunk. I was one foot in the grave. You don't have three strokes and stand here four years later and you don't see any evidence of those strokes. You don't see them. <laughs> My poor husband. He says, I never heard of anybody who had three strokes and not one of those strokes affected your speech. <laughs> I've never had a problem talking. Never. Now, I tell you, when I had the strokes, it really kind of did affect the confusion factor. Sometimes when I talked, it didn't make any sense. But he also said that that kind of happened before that anyway, so I didn't know that. For me today, the fact that when I get up in the morning, I know today that I actually have a purpose in this world. Besides yelling and screaming at kids, 42-year-old or 40-year-old or not, telling them what they're doing wrong and right, that's no longer part of my life. I only get to talk about what affects me. I don't get to comment on my children's marriages, the way they handle their children, my grandchildren. It's none of my business. The one thing besides my connection to a higher power that this program has given me that is worth everything to me is the ability to accept people, places, things, and situations. The gift of acceptance is everything for me. I, you couldn't have convinced me. It's been six and a half months that these two middle fingers have not been used behind the wheel of my car. Now, I would have bet you every dime I have and my husband was going to make in the next year that that would not happen. Just because I'm in recovery, all those people out on the highway didn't get instant smart. They're as dumb as they ever were behind the wheel of those cars. The difference today is I don't have to react to them. I get to let them be who they are and just ask God to take care of them. I don't even have to mean it the first ten times I ask Him. I just have to let Him do it. You know, there, there's the gentleman who wrote the acceptance chapter in the big book. If you have the third edition, it's 449 page. If you have the fourth, it's 417. That's Dr. Paul. He wrote a couple of other books, and one of them he talks about his contract with God, where he got, gave God 51%, and he took 49. Wasn't that big of him, 51 49? I'm a little more generous. I give God 60. I still want 40. He says that one thing he's very sure of is God's never going to do the work. So he got to do all the work, which is your action steps, you know, four through nine. But God gets all the worry and the results. Now, I like that. I spent my life worrying about everybody in my life. 
and even people I didn't know because my major character defect, second to control, is codependency. I don't have to do that anymore. I truly can give them to God. Now, that doesn't mean I don't want to take it back a lot. But bottom line, that's why I have a sponsor. When somebody really starts to get to me and I can't just automatically let it go, and I call my sponsor, usually I write first because I know the first thing she's going to tell me is, did you write about it, honey? Yes, honey, I wrote about it. You want to hear what I wrote? And then, and she said, she says, write them a letter. You're mad at them. Make it sound like you're mad at them. And when I first came into the program, it was like, so if I, if I word it nice enough, do I get to give them the letter? No, honey, you don't get to give them the letter. <laughs> Took me a long time to learn how to get rid of the emotions in an appropriate manner. You know, that's another good reason to have a sponsor. That sponsor will let you say what you need to say without saying things you can't take back. You know? So, did I get five minutes yet? Oh my God. I am on a roll. It must be I'm tired. Usually I'm just going and it's like my time's up. I don't know where the heck I'm going. Okay. Then I'd like to talk to you guys a little bit about the steps. I know... Twenty-five. Oh, good. In all honesty, I did mention that one of my little physical things is neuropathy, and down in Orange County where we go, we usually don't have to stand in our meetings, but I think standing is always good because it gives me a chance to see all of your shining faces, but it's a little hard on the light. Um, the steps. I know as newcomers, you probably don't know a lot about the steps. The reason I want to talk about the steps is because they can be scary to a newcomer. Um, I believe that this program can be the most marvelous fellowship and support system that you will ever find. And before I close, I'm going to talk a little bit about the reading. But I want to say, for me, anything you hear me say is only my opinion. For me, this program is the 12 steps as written in the big book. It's also in our early literature, but everything started with the AA big book. The 12 steps show me how to live life God's way and not Sandy's way. Because Sandy's way almost killed Sandy. And I want to do things God's will. Uh, people, my sponsors ask me all the time, how do you know the difference between your will and God's will? For me, that's real simple. If what I choose to do is going to benefit somebody else, it's God's will. If what I choose to do is for my benefit, you bet it's Sandy's will. And if it's not that clear cut, and you better run it by 5, 10, 20 other people. Because my best thinking got me almost 400 pounds. So I'm not going to let my best thinking make those decisions. Okay? Now, since I'm running short, I want to kind of go over, especially because this is a newcomer. <coughs> I didn't hear a lot as a newcomer in my first few meetings. First of all, I didn't want to be here, and I thought you were nuts, so I wasn't going to hear much you had to say. 
But what was real important for me was <laughs> you are not alone anymore. I wanted to believe that. I thought it was kind of hokey. You'll find out if you ever talk to me one-on-one, -on -one, what you see is what you get. You know, you're not going to guess what I'm thinking. Sometimes you kind of wish you had to. But. Okay. And it says, we will help you and rejoice with you and tell you that we are not failures because we sometimes fail. I was very much into perfection. And I tried to do it perfectly, so therefore you had to do it perfectly, all of you who were around me. Perfection is not part of my life today. Therefore, perfection is not part of my food plan. Perfection is not part of my abstinence. Because if that is part of my daily living, I'm going to bolt when I fail at perfection. I am going to do nothing perfectly again except return to OA meetings. As long as I put my butt in a chair, my ears have got to follow. And if I can keep hearing what's said in meetings, even on my worst days, something is going to get through my ears, to my brain, and down to my heart. It's going to make what I call the 12-inch drop. And it's going to get from my ears and my head to my heart where it has to end up. Because I can analyze anything to death. I tried that for a year and a half to get a connection to a higher power. And when I quit trying to grasp God and just sat there and let it be, wouldn't you know it, there he was. But as soon as I tried to define him and analyze him and grasp him, I kept pushing him away. I just had to let it be. What I'd like to end with, in OA and on your uh, passport, thank you, it says the OA promise. When I went to convention up north, they end almost all of their meetings at the convention with the OA promise, which is the I put my hand in yours. For me, this says what we are about. Never in my life have I felt unconditional love and acceptance. And if you go to meetings in your home area and you feel judged, find another meeting. Don't stay there. This program is about unconditional acceptance. And we are there to give it to you. Find the meetings where we are. <coughs> I put my hand in yours, and together we can do what we could never do alone. No longer is there a sense of hopelessness. No longer must we each depend upon our own unsteady willpower. We are all together now, reaching out our hands for power and strength greater than ours. And as we join hands, we find love and understanding beyond our wildest dreams. And in these rooms, we mean it. We are not paying lip service to you. Thank you. We will now have 10 minutes of questions from the Ask It Basket. 
Sandy. Do you ever get cravings, and if you do, what do you do to overcome them? Um, I go back in my head to what it was like, and then I get on the phone and lose it. Um, I have to say that in the last six months, thank you God, the obsession has been removed. But in three and a half years before that, there wasn't a day the obsession was gone. Um, the tools of this program are what are going to save me on a daily basis. And if I forget to use the tools and give in to the obsession, I am at that death door. I've heard it said many times that I don't know if I have another recovery in me. I don't think that's too strong a term when you get to where I was. So for me, it's the telephone, it's email, it's the literature. And if, if I could, I'd hit my knees, but I couldn't get up. <laughs> okay. How did you awake that you are ready to kill yourself? What made you stop? I guess this is for both of you. There was only a couple times in my life that I wanted to kill myself. One time when when I was 16 and pregnant and didn't want to tell anybody. And um, in a way, before I got here, I don't know that I really wanted to kill myself. I just didn't want to live. I, I didn't live. I didn't have an existence. I was the living dead. I was already dead. I didn't need to think about killing myself. I, I didn't have a life. And so I was the living dead. And so... For me to bring myself out of the emotional distraught that I was in, as I said, I, I, I came to OA because I knew the 12 steps would help to move me to a life where I had feelings, where I could feel my emotions. Sandy shared that she felt only anger. Anger was my first emotion I could identify with if I had an emotion at all. Now I get to come and cry in the hall before I speak, laugh, smile, you know, be sad, happy, glad, and mad. I get to have all those emotions, so I get to be alive because before I was the living dead. So I don't know that I consciously thought I wanted to kill myself. I was dead, and, and now I am alive. So that's all I can say about that. Thanks. How did you find a sponsor who was a good fit? The first person I asked to be my sponsor agreed, told me when to call. I called five times. She never called me back. It's for either one.
Hi, Sandy again. Um, this one is so easy. That sister who took me to the meeting made me go to the 100-pounder meeting. She said, you're getting a sponsor. So I asked this lady before I went in if I could talk to her after the meeting. During the meeting, she announced she was a sponsor not available. And I went, thank you, God. After the meeting, I was going to leave, and she said, didn't you want to talk to me? I said, yeah, but she said you're not available. She goes, oh, honey, for you, I'll sponsor. And I went, oh, my God. So what did I do? I proceeded to audition her. And I said, well, my sister says I need a hard-nosed old-timer. She goes, I said, are you one? She goes, no, honey, but I guess I could be. And all I could think to myself was, oh, please, just don't give me a God person. Remember, I didn't have a higher power. Well, I got the biggest God person in Orange County. So I had a higher power looking after me before I knew I even had a higher power. So Debbie talked about God shots. I got a God shot before I knew what a God shot was. And sometimes I think it just works. But this person did have, I did have to pick a person because my sister made me. And I picked someone who had what I wanted, 200-pound weight loss. And she was close to my age, and she was an incest survivor. So I just picked something that I, someone that I knew had similarities to me. But I think it's most important is you pick a sponsor. Because one thing about this program, if you don't have a sponsor that works out for you, you can change sponsors at will. The only thing I suggest is you look at your motives for changing. If you change because it's getting too hard to work the steps, you might want to rethink the change. But if it's not a good fit, by all means, get another sponsor. Thank you. This is for both people. What are the most important three things to do? The most important thing to do is keep coming back. That's number one, because if your butt's not in the chair, you're not going to hear what needs to be heard or said or grow. Um, the second thing, I think, would be to get a sponsor, because without checking in with a sponsor on a daily basis, I can wander away and think everything I'm doing is just right. And she doesn't even really tell me what to do, just is somebody to check in with. And myself, I've had two, three I've had four sponsors. Like I said, I've had to move, and my sponsor left, and I left, and, and I've asked somebody to be my sponsor, and, and they couldn't and weren't available. So I've had to go with the flow. Um, and then I think uh, reading the big book and working the steps has been my three most important things, being here, being willing, and uh, doing the work. Okay, I agree with Debbie right off the bat. This is a WE program, and it starts with guidance through the steps. So sponsors first, and the steps are the program. Once you get the sponsor, let the sponsor help you to give you an idea of how to get started and build up a base of people. We like to call it a God squad, which are people that you will see people in meetings, and you'll learn right away who you're comfortable being around, someone who will share something that you can identify with, 
get phone numbers from your meetings, pick up meeting lists. And this telephone is a major tool because when you start having the cravings and the feelings and you want to go to the food, the last thing you want to do is to have somebody tell you not go to the food, but the first thing you want for your recovery is support. And you'll be able to call those people. You'll be able to pick up that 2,000-pound phone and make that call. Thanks. Also for both people, what is how? <laughs> I'm gonna let Sandy handle this one totally because I've never been to how. I, I, I've heard it's honest, open, and willing, but that's all hearsay. I've not attended a how meeting. Well, I was hoping you'd do it justice before I got irreverent here. <laughs> okay. The term how stands for, like Debbie said, honesty, open-mindedness, and willingness. And the how has a food plan that is usually very rigid. They weigh and measure, and it's usually no sugar, white flour, no flour at all for the first 30 days. Now, um, if that is something that you can do, it's wonderful. It works for a lot of people. It promotes a lot of weight loss right away. I personally do not handle that food plan. And a lot of people have heard me share in meetings. I do not judge anybody's program. But for me, how stands for how the hell can you eat like that? Because I cannot eat like that. But it is doing absolutely wonderful things for a lot of people. When OA started, you are going to hear as newcomers, people talk about the gray sheet. The gray sheet was a food plan. It was a very rigid food plan. You'll hear old timers or long timers, they call them now. We'll talk about, I broke my abstinence, I had one extra green bean. That's how a rigid, it's kind of an exaggeration, but it's all weighted and measured and you have exactly this amount. If you have one little thing extra or if you ate between. So it is a food plan that is very, very rigid. But I know a lot of people in how that have been abstinent 25, 30 years and it works. If your alcoholic food is sugar and white flour, it's the program for you. It's the part of the food plan for you. So don't let me deter you from it. I just can't do without the white flour. So it's not going to be my program. Thanks. I was looking at, I was looking at the passport in the next meeting that's in this very room is OA House. So whoever asked that question could stay and maybe get more information about it. This also for both people. Would you please talk about what was your rock bottom?
Hi, I'm Debbie Compulsive Overeater. My rock bottom was laying on my couch watching TV and going to the refrigerator, not doing any outside activities at all, being emotionally, physically, and spiritually distressed, you know, not um, not being able to go outside my doors at all, not having any serenity in, during calamity, not, you know, being on blood pressure, cholesterol, having all my physical health gone. And, and I'm, I neglected to tell you my story. I am no longer high blood pressure, no longer bad cholesterol, no longer have knee, feet, whatever problems. So that was my bottom thing for then, hopefully, for today. That's good. Sandy Compulsive Overeater. My bottom was obviously the strokes. I spent six days in the hospital uh, after the third stroke, not remembering, standing at the side of the bed, knowing that I wanted to sit down and not knowing how to do it. And um, even though I didn't want to give up the food, I knew something had to change. So it was very clear, clear cut for me. It was live, die. Also for both people, was there anything you wanted to say that you forgot? Oh, yes, there was. I wanted to to thank you for not running out of the room when I shared today. I appreciate that, and and I did say that you know I, I neglected. I said where I was with my health, and I just shared that you know I did get off the blood pressure medicine. I did. Actually, I didn't get on the cholesterol medicine because I refused to take it. I hate taking medicine. It gave me leg cramps, and I gave it to somebody else. So I lived, I'm, I turned 49 a month ago, and I'm alive. You know, hey, my dad died when he was 49, so I'm I'm grateful for that. I, I have my health. I have something to work for, and, and um, I have serenity, and I'm alive. I have feelings and emotions. I get to cry before I come here. I get to laugh before I come here. I get to breathe now that I'm done. Thank you. <laughs> Prior to coming to the program, I could not ride a single airplane without an extender. I could not sit in most booths. I could not go to amusement parks and do my absolute favorite thing, and that's ride roller coasters. I have since been to Magic Mountain, walked it with a 25-year-old niece, and she pooped out before I did. Um, I get to do the things today that I never thought I would see again. And basically, it's very simple. I get to live life. I've heard it said that OA gave me a life. Actually, OA has allowed me to live a life that I was just wasting. I was existing. I was missing my children's lives, my grandchildren's lives, and making everyone miserable in the process. And today I get to come into 12-step rooms to smile when I see people at conventions that I haven't seen since last year, to hug everyone who is willing to hug, and to be grateful that God given me one more day. Thank you.
We will now have open sharing. We will have time for, for three shares. If you have already shared in another workshop, please give others a chance. Before you come forward, limit your share to three minutes. Stay on the topic and sign the tape release form after you share. We'd like to share. Hi, my name is Linda, and I'm a grateful compulsive overeater. And this is, I've got 79 days of abstinence from day one. I came in at 265 pounds. I've lost 20 pounds. But that's not the thing. It's the service. For me, was what I needed to do. I got involved immediately. I'm now vice chair over the over in Redondo Beach of their uh, inner group. I'm also secretary of four meetings, and I started my own step study meeting because there wasn't one available. I got involved. I live this stuff. Abstinence to me is the most important thing in my life. I cannot live without this program. I became willing. I am powerless. I will do anything to keep this program in my life. And I thank you for letting me share. And thank you very much. Brenda, I'm a compulsive eater, overeater. Um, I'm really intimidated by podiums and microphones. I've never spoken on a microphone before, and I'm just scared up here, shaking. I've been shaking since my sponsor suggested I share in here. She said it'd be a good time to share, so I trust her. She hasn't steered me wrong yet. Um, I've been in the program now for five days. I have five days of abstinence. Um, a little over a year ago, I left another 12-step program for compulsive eaters. Um, after being in there for about six months or so, uh, I figured I had it wired. They, they taught me what to do. I, I knew what to do, and I had a lot of physical recovery. And so I decided, well, I know what to do. I'm going to do it, and, and uh, I left. Well. Well, over a year later, I'm halfway back to my my top weight, and I can't do it by myself. And so I have my humility, and I'm I'm back here humbly, and I'm very grateful for being here. That that this meeting is here, that this convention is here, and I'm glad that you're all here too. Thanks for letting me share. I'm Gail, compulsive overeater. I, I have been in OA since May 7th, and I weighed 300 pounds when I came in. I weigh 185, no, 285, <laughs> sorry, 285 now. I um, am very grateful for the program and very grateful for the speakers. I don't even have a day of absence, thanks to those chocolate chip cookies yesterday, but I feel like I'm on a roller coaster that even if I don't have a day of absence today, that I can be absent starting now. And I was afraid to come to this conference, 
So I asked my twin sister, Gay, to come from Washington, D.C. to come with me, and she did, and that's why I'm here. Thank you for letting me share. It's now time to close this workshop. Please join me in a moment of silence followed by the serenity prayer. Thank you.